Father, we just run to you this morning and say we want to be with you. We want to be near you. We want to connect with you relationally this morning. Would you open up our ears to hear what you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I don't know about you, but it is hard for me uh, to develop close relationships. It's difficult. I, I don't know if you struggle with this or not, but uh, it, when it comes to developing close relationships with people, even people in my own family, with my wife and my children, it's a real struggle. It's hard work. One of the things I've found to be true is that when it comes to developing close relationships with people, intimate relationships with people, it doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't happen naturally for me. I am more... I have a more of a tendency to withdraw from people, to just kind of stay away because it's easier just to stay at home. It's easier just to kind of uh, keep conversations at a surface level. It's easier just to talk about the weather. It, it's difficult to develop close relationships. We're in uh, week five of our seven-week series this morning called Profile, the Qualities of a Mature Disciple. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to go and make disciples. Yeah, that was the mission he gave us. And at Genesis Church, we want to fulfill that mission. We want to become a disciple-making church. But what kind of disciple did Jesus have in mind when he said to go make them? We've talked about how there's, you know, there's any number of passages in the Scripture that you could point to to define what a disciple is. There are a number of different ways that you could phrase it and things that you could say. At Genesis, we're turning to John chapter 15, specifically verse 8. Let's read this together, John 15, 8. For this reason... Whoop, that's John 5, 18. That is not John 15, 8. But let's see if you know it by memory, because we've been studying it for five weeks. I know it by memory, and I also have it in my notes, but just so. John 15, 8, you can take that down. That's not John 15, 8. John 15, 8 says this. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's three key phrases that Jesus uses. He says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves or proving yourselves to be my disciples. We see three essential qualities in there. Uh, we call it our profile. We're calling it the profile of a mature disciple. This is the kind of disciple we want to be and make here at Genesis. Um, first and most importantly, we want to be disciples who follow Jesus. Secondly, we want to be disciples who are motivated to bring God glory, who seek to glorify God. Thirdly, we want to be disciples who grow in four fundamental areas. We've seen there are, we've identified four basic areas in the New Testament where we think God wants to grow us. He's the gardener. Jesus is the vine. We're the branch. We think there are four basic ways where God wants to see each of us, each of you, grow in your life. Number one, in your identity, living like a child of God. The, uh, Paul talked about that last week. Today, we're talking about intimacy, cultivating close loving relationships, both with God and with people. Next week, we'll talk about, Ben will talk about integrity, and we'll wrap up the series in a couple weeks talking about influence and bearing fruit. When we grow and produce fruit in these four areas, our lives bring attention to Jesus. Our lives bring glory and honor to him. Now, while Jesus is the source of life, and he's the one who produces the fruit in us and through us, we have a role to play. We have a responsibility in the process. We're not just passive participants. And so for each of these four areas, we're providing one basic skill that we would love to see us as a church family develop and grow in in order to bear fruit. Paul did a great job last week talking about the importance of identity. And you remember the skill he gave? Anybody remember last week what he talked about? 
talked about the skill of meditating on Scripture or studying the Bible. Specifically, we're going to use, uh, as a church family, we're going to use the SOAP study method. You've heard us use that if you've been around here for a while. SOAP, the SOAP study method is a simple way to begin to teach you and train you on how to meditate on God's Word. Psalm 1 says that those who meditate on God's Word, Psalm 1 promises that those who meditate on God's Word throughout their life, that they'll be like trees planted by streams of water bearing much fruit. Today, I want to talk to you about growing in intimacy, intimacy with God and intimacy with people. And the skill I want to share with you today is a simple five-sentence conversation that will help you grow closer to God and closer to people. It's a prayer that you can pray, a prayer that will draw you closer to God, but it's also a conversation that you can have with uh, people closest to you, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with those people that you're trying to disciple. It's a conversation that you can have with them to help draw you closer and have a more intimate relationship and friendship with people. You know, life is, life is all about relationships, right? Wouldn't you agree? And the quality of our relationships, the quality of our relationships determines essentially the quality of our lives. We need quality relationships in our life. We need close, intimate relationships. Uh, One person defined an intimate relationship as this, a close personal connection between two people that usually develops and strengthens over time. Now, we typically... We typically learn and begin to develop intimate relationships, close relationships, or uh, as children when we interact with our parents and with close family members. But as we move through our teens and into adulthood, our need for relationship continues. Counselors say one of the leading causes of depression, of which I know many of you struggle with, I've struggled with at times in my life, one of the leading causes of depression is a lack of close, intimate relationships. It's also one of the leading factors in in, in facing and dealing with addiction. One of the basic steps that you can take, one of the best steps you can take to overcome addiction in your life is to develop a few quality, close friendships. I heard a guy talking to a group of men say, if you want to overcome your struggle with sexual sin, develop a few close male friendships. And that's one of the best things you can do to help overcome our temptations and our sins and our addictions. That's why group therapy such as AA has been so successful throughout the years because no matter who you are or how old you are, we all need close, intimate relationships to experience the kind of life that God intends for us to experience. Uh, Another author uh, put it this way, our need, our need for relationship is even more powerful than our need for food. We are inherently designed and created to need relationships. In the first few chapters of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see God's original intent for our lives. After God creates Adam, he says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. He says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. My wife often reminds me when she's giving me advice in life, she says, honey, I'm your, I'm your helper I'm your helpmate. God said it right there in Genesis 2. Do what I tell you to do. <laughs> like, babe, I don't think that's what that text means. <laughs> but I want you to imagine in heaven, in heaven, at the beginning of creation, that God the Father leans over to Jesus, God the Son, and says, it's not good. And Jesus responds, well, well what's not good? And, and the Father says to Jesus, his being alone, look at him. He's wandering around the Garden of Eden all by himself. God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. 
In the next chapter of Genesis, in chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking for Adam in the garden. And he said, Adam, where are you? Well, God wasn't asking Adam about his physical location. God already knew what had happened, and he knew where Adam was hiding. He's God. So why was God asking him that question? Because it was in a relational question. God was asking, about his, uh, asking Adam about his relational distance. God was asking Adam, Adam, why have you relationally withdrawn from me? See, that's one of the consequences of the, of the fall. Because of sin, because of our sin and the sins of others, we instinctively withdraw from relational closeness. And developing close relationships, even with those closest to us, it's a struggle. It's difficult. We are selfish. We are prideful. We are insecure. We judge. We condemn. We gossip. We criticize. And who wants to be close to people like that? Not me. What about you? That's why it's hard. But thanks to Jesus... I thought that was funny. But thanks to Jesus, you're like, man, he's serious. Now we have an open door. Jesus has provided an open door. Jesus has provided an opportunity for us to grow close to God and close to people, to experience the kind of abundant life that he intended for us to experience. He spoke about this in John 17, 3. John 17, 3, Jesus said this. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. If you've been around for the last year, you've heard us emphasize the word for no here. Many of you could probably say it right now. What's the word for no? Gnosko. The word for no is gnosko. It's the Greek word translated for no there. It's a knowledge grounded in personal experience or means to be intimately acquainted with. We've stressed the importance of that word. Because if we don't set our hearts and minds, if we don't make it our goal to have close relationships with God and people, we're missing the whole point of Christianity. Jesus is telling us in John 17, 3, this is the point of it all, to have a close, intimate relationship with me and with people. So the question is, well, how do we interact with God and how do we interact with people in a way that draws us relationally close to them? Several years ago, there was a popular book out called The Five Love Languages. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the book for The Five Love Languages. All right. How many of you all actually read it? All right. How many of you practiced it? Oh, you liars. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Don't call, don't call your, the church liars. Uh, the author gave five different. The, the author gave five different ways people tend to experience being loved. He said uh, words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, receiving gifts, physical touch. Those are all different ways to uh, ex, uh, to express love and to express uh, uh, affection for people. These are different ways, but the most basic way. Let's just talk about today. The most basic, the most fundamental. That's what we're talking about in this series. Is what are the fundamentals? The most fundamental ways to develop intimacy is through conversation. And this applies to our relationship with God and with people. And so this morning, I'm going to show you a five, a simple five-sentence conversation that you can develop, that you can have to develop intimacy with God and people. If, you're, if you have notes, if in your notes, I want you to grab your notes. You can see there's two columns. And uh, uh, I got this method. Where's my book? It's right here. I got this method uh, 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 from a book I read a, a, a few, about a year, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, I read this book called Joyful Journey, Listening to Emmanuel. It's a small book, um, but I've been, it, it teaches this conversation method, and I've been trying to put this into practice in my own life. I found it's especially helpful, this method, this five-sentence conversation is especially helpful whenever you're struggling in life, whenever you're frustrated or uh, you're discouraged. 
Uh, I've seen some really neat fruit in both my relationship with God by, by using this method. I've seen some great uh, fruit in my relationship with my wife and kids. I'll be really honest, and my wife would vouch for this. Uh, this simple conversation method is helping me become a better husband and father. And I think you'll really like it. I think you'll, I think you'll find it's helpful. So here's, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to approach this conversation from two perspectives, right? First, we're going to look at it. If you're looking at your notes, we're going to look at it from the perspective of us communicating to God. There's five sentences we can say to the Lord, that we can pray to the Lord. And then we're going to look at it along the way uh, from the perspective of us communicating to others. That's the column on the right. And I'm of the opinion that the way we develop intimacy with God is the same way we develop intimacy with people. So let's walk through this. The first sentence you see... In your notes is this, you see me, you see me. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray or to communicate with God, he said in Matthew 6, 6, when you go, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, draw your attention to that phrase, your father who sees, your heavenly father your heavenly Father sees you. Do you grasp the weight of that? The significance? That the God of the universe, the creator of all things in heaven and earth, he sees you. In Genesis 16, Hagar, Hagar gives God the name El Roy-E, El Roy-E, which means the God who sees me. The God who sees me. Psalm 32.8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God sees you. Psalm 33.18 says this, but the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord, the God of the universe, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. God sees you and he sees me and he, sits, he sees you when you sit there on the couch alone at night. He sees you wondering if you're ever going to get married. He sees you crying yourself to sleep at night. He sees you praying for your spouse and praying for your children. God sees you, moms, taking care of your children. God sees you serving your family. Men, God sees you working hard, doing your best to provide for your family. God sees you talking to your neighbor or your coworker as you're trying to get to know them and share Christ with them. God sees you. And he's not just looking at us, like staring, us like staring at us like some kind of creepy creepster. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, he's not, it's not, that's not creepy. And God's not a creepy God. Nice. Although at times I'll be staring at my daughters and uh, my daughter Zoe will look at me and go, Dad, what are you looking at? I'm like, baby, I'm looking at you. God is a loving father who's paying attention to you. He's paying attention to you. Psalm 139 says that God knows us and that he's familiar with all of our ways. Read this with me, verse 17 and 18. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The psalmist, I want you, I want you to notice here, the psalmist points out two words to describe God's thoughts about you and me. Here's the two words. Number one, he says they are precious. How precious are your thoughts to me? And the second word is what? Vast. How precious are your thoughts to me and how vast is the sum of them? High quality thoughts and high quantity 
God has great, precious, amazing thoughts about you, and he's thinking about you a lot. Let me ask you something. Why do you think we have a greeting card, a section of greeting cards in every card store titled, Thinking of You? Why is that? Why do we have cards saying, just say, I just want, just want you to know I'm thinking of you? Because we all want to know someone's thinking of us. We all want to know that someone is paying attention to us. Does anyone see me? Is anyone paying attention to me? We want to be on someone's heart and mind. We want to know that someone is giving their attention to us. So I want to encourage you, work this sentence into your prayer life, into your conversation with God. Tell God, God, you see me. Father, you see me. By praying that, you're just acknowledging it to him, and you're reminding yourself in your own mind and your own heart. You're getting that truth into your heart. You're saying, Father, you see me. Father, you see me stressed out. When you're stressed out, say, Father, you see me. You see, you see me stressed out. You see the knots in my stomach. You see me getting angry. You see my clenched jaws. God sees all that. When you find yourself in those moments, tell him, Father, you see me. It's a simple prayer. You see me. You see my heart rate going up. You see my palms sweating. You see me nervous as I prepare this message five minutes before I come out. <laughs> I prayed it this morning. I'm like, Lord, you see me. You see me. You see the tears in my eyes. Father, you see me being tempted. Father, you see me trying to be a better spouse and a parent. Father, you see me. I'm trying to share the gospel with my neighbor, my coworker, my friend. Father, you see me opening up my Bible. You see me trying to connect with you. Father, you see the smile on my face. You see them. I'm thankful for you. Father, you see me. If you'll allow this truth to take root in your heart and shape your relationship and your conversations with God, I, I, I promise you, I think you're going to experience a greater intimacy and a closeness to God. And I want you to do this. I want you to give yourself the freedom to hear him say it back to you. Give yourself the time and the space to hear the Father say to you, I do see you. I do see you. The other day I was praying and I was journaling and I was practicing this and was meditating on this and what came to my mind, oh, it was fresh, it was new. I hadn't, hadn't heard this one before. I wrote it down. What came to my mind was the thought of, it was this sentence. Kevin, you have my full attention. Oh, do you know what that did for my heart in that moment? Number one, I heard him call me by name. Kevin, he sees me. He's paying attention to me. You have my full attention, Kevin. Stop, stop, stop trying to seek attention from others. You have my full attention. You don't need anyone else's attention. You need my attention. Do you, do you hear your heavenly father saying to you, I see you? Okay, now, we want to hear the Lord say that to us. We want to say to the Lord, Lord, you see me, but we should relate to others the way God relates to us. If you want to draw close to others, then give them your full attention. So let's turn this. Go to the right side of the column. Let's turn this on developing intimacy with others. I want to encourage you to tell those closest to you that I see you. That's in your notes. I see you. I see you. When you're trying to talk to someone and you can tell they're not really paying attention to you, how does that feel? This is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I know this is not everybody's problem, but, you know, I'm the one with the microphone. So... Um, Whenever I'm really trying to share something with my wife, I want her to look at me. 
I want her to look at me. Uh, this, uh, I, see, I see some of you all laughing because some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you do this too. And so we, my wife, I get home from work, and we're talking. I'm sharing my heart. And, you know, she's trying to cook or fix dinner or, or do something with the kids or she's clean or something. And, I, and I'm trying to talk to her, and she's kind of like she's paying attention to me. She says she's paying attention to me, but she's not looking at me. And then I'll just stop, and I'll, and I'll do one of these. I'll go, you know, I'll just wait until you're done. And she's like, I'm, I'm, she'll turn around and look at me. She's like, I'm paying attention. I'm like, no, no, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. Because I need reassurance that you're actually looking at me, that you're giving me your full attention. My children do this, right? My daughter has Zoe. She's just so precious. She has attention uh, she'll, she'll, from time to time. She'll literally, if, if I'm not paying attention, she will grab my face, and she'll pull me close, and she'll say, Daddy, and she'll look me right in the eyes. She wants me to give her my full attention. Because we want, to know, we want to know people see us. We want to know that people are paying attention to us. Jesus modeled how to see people. Jesus was a master of, of, of seeing people. Author Paul Miller, in his book, Love Walked Among Us, he, he has a fantastic book on love and on, on developing intimacy with people. He has a whole section on learning how to see people like Jesus did. Miller says this, love, love begins with looking. Love begins with looking. Loving people the way Jesus loved people starts with learning to see people, really see people the way Jesus did. The Gospels have, catch this, over 30 specific accounts in the Gospels of Jesus looking at someone. Isn't that fascinating? That the Gospel writers would record that nuance over 30 times that he was seeing people. Let me look at a couple of different examples. Matthew 9, 36 says this, when he, when Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It, this word saw, again, it's not noticed. It literally is best translated seeing the people. He saw them. He noticed them. He was giving them his attention. He was paying attention to them. Luke seven thirteen says this, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. This was the woman whose child had passed away, and shortly after this, Jesus is going to resurrect her child. But it says the Lord saw her. The Lord saw her. John 4, 35, Jesus says to his disciples, kind of turns the corner from a disciple-making perspective, don't you have a saying, it's four more months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The New Living Translation says, wake up and look around. Start seeing people. Start paying attention to people. Start concentrating on those people around you. Jesus looked at people. Jesus paid attention to people. He concentrated on people. We can follow Jesus and pattern our lives after his life by seeing people. I love what Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 in the New Century Version says. I like how it translates this. Very simply, do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Philippians, is, here's what he's saying. He said, listen, pay attention to other people. Don't just look at your own life. Open up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and pay attention to those around you. It's hard in our world. It is hard. It's especially hard in our culture to see people all around us. We are a distracted people. We are, uh, we are distracted uh, with our own agenda, with our daily task, with the, all of the noise of the world. I'm a distracted husband. I'm a distracted father. This past Friday... I was watching my kids by myself. Uh, Paige was out uh, doing, running some errands. Uh, the two girls, our two oldest girls, were upstairs taking a nap, and I was downstairs on the couch, uh, just laying on the couch, and my 16-month-old son was on the ground uh, in the living room, family room playing uh, next to me. And I'm sitting there on my phone, 
I'm laying on the couch on my phone, and it's probably about this close to my face. About here. Let me just. So you all, I, I, you all, right? Is, is this familiar? Anybody? Raise your hand if this is familiar. Is this familiar? And so this is what I was doing. And thankfully, when you're a preacher, God tends to, tends to always, like, convict you of your sin before you go t- tell other people to do it, you know? And I hear this, I just kind of get this nudging. Kevin, pay attention to your son. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm doing it. I'm sitting here preparing this message this week. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm guilty of it. I took this phone. I'm like, I throw the phone. Don't you want to crush this? Let's all, let's all let, bring, everybody bring your cell phones up here. Let's just crush them. Let's all just, <laughs> right now. We'll all have a better life if we just crush these things, right? Pay attention to I put my phone down. I picked up my son. I put him on my lap. I looked him in the eyes. And you know the first thing he did? He had this giant smile on his face. Because his daddy just took a second to look him in the eyes. And he noticed daddy was seeing me. And I started just engaging with him. I'm thinking, how often do I miss this as a dad? How often do I miss this as a coworker with the people in my workplace? How often do I miss this? with the people that I, that I go through my life because I'm so distracted, I won't open my eyes. Pray and ask God to open your eyes. Tell people, I see you. The people closest to you want to be seen by you. Tell them that you're, you're paying attention to them. And we don't wanna, they don't want to just be seen. They want to be heard as well. We all want to be heard. We all want to be listened to. Whether it's work or at home, whether it's with family or friends, we want to know that someone's listening to us. We want to know that we're being heard. This is a key to intimacy, a key to closeness. That leads us to the second sentence. You hear me in your notes. Back over on the uh, us to God side on the column. You hear me. It's a prayer that you can pray. This is a sentence you can simply work in your conversation with God. You hear me. This will help you draw closer to God if you just start saying this to him. You hear me. You hear me. Psalm 5.3 says this, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Psalm 66.19 says this, Surely God has listened and heard my prayer. God listens and he prayers. God hears all of your thoughts. Have you ever thought about that? Do you believe that? Let's be a church family who believes that, that God hears our thoughts. That may be a challenge for us to believe that, that he can hear our thoughts, and, and specifically that God hears our thoughts and doesn't condemn us. I don't know about you, but that's a struggle with me, right? Because I tend to, we, we t- I tend to get stuck by judging my own thoughts, judging my, 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 what, what's going through my mind or what I'm thinking. But I think God wants us to experience truly being listened to instead of always feeling like God's out to correct us or out to teach us all the time. In order to stay relationally connected to God, in order to for, for, stay relationally connected to people, we must experience being heard. Tell God what you really think and trust that he hears you, that he's really listening to. You hear me, you hear me thinking I'm overwhelmed with life. I don't know about you, I think that all the time. I'm overwhelmed with life. And I just turn that into a prayer. Father, you hear me thinking I'm overwhelmed with life. You hear me judging and condemning myself. I struggle with that. What about you? You hear me say, I'm so dumb, I did it again. You hear me thinking, I don't know what to do. You hear me questioning, am I doing a good job as a parent? You hear me debating which decision is the right one. You hear me asking for help. You hear me asking for healing. You hear me asking for guidance. Father, you hear me asking for strength. You hear me giving thanks to you. You hear, you hear me giving you credit for my life. Simply pray. Work this into your conversation. Father, I trust you. I believe that you hear me. I, you, you, you see me and you hear me. Your heavenly Father hears you. Now, 
We gotta do for others what God does for us. So if you wanna have a closer relationship with people in your life, tell them that you're listening to them. Say, I hear you. I hear you. That's the next line in your notes. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I hear your heart. I hear what's on your mind. I hear what you want. I hear your concerns. Husbands, this would be a great line for you to use often. Honey, I hear your concerns. They just wanna be heard. They being wives. I'm listening to you. One author said, one author said it this way, to really hear someone is to invite them to be known. We want to be known by others. A simple way to do it is to simply say, I hear you. I've used this and it absolutely it forces me to listen when I say it. So I've been practicing this. You know, I've been practicing my poor wife. I practice on her more than anything. I hear you. And then she gives me the look like you're you're doing it again. I'm like, okay, but I am, I really am. I really want to listen to you. You know, but I say it out loud as an accountability. James 1.9 says this. James 1, 9, uh, 9 or 19? Yes, 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to air their opinion. Is that what that says? Everyone should be quick to defend their argument. Whatever you want to say. No, everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Everyone should be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Proverbs 18.13 says this. To answer before listening to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Start practicing this in your conversations with other people. Many of you know this is called active listening. This is in the secular world, they call this active listening. I didn't come up with it. The Bible came up with it. God came up with it. When someone says something to you, maybe it's a friend or a spouse or, or parents, I want you to listen to this, or even your children, even your children, no matter how little they are, reassure them that you're really listening to them. If you'll practice this, you'll draw closer to people. Now, why do we want to be heard? Because we want to be understood. We want to be understood. We want to be a people who want to understand. We want to develop close, intimate relationships. We, we need to be understood. Being understood is one of our deepest needs. We need validation. We're hardwired for it. We don't really need to always know that, that we're right, but we need to know that someone understands how we feel. We, people, we want people to know what our reality is. That's called empathy. When we feel a certain way, we need to know that others validate our experience, meaning that they understand how it is for us. They, they know what it's like to walk in our shoes and to be in our place. Don't you love it when someone connects with you in a way that only they can because they've been where you've been? Maybe you're a widow. Uh, a friend of mine is a widow, and uh, his wife passed away a few years ago. And I said, well, you know, what's one of the most difficult things about being a widow? And he said, so few people. So few people know what it's like to be in your shoes. And, and when you're a widow and you meet another widow, you realize, wow, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to, to walk in my shoes. That's why we need to know that God understands us. This is the third sentence you can praise this. You understand. You understand. Psalm 103, verse 13 through 15. God understands us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Listen, God doesn't get frustrated with us. He understands us. He has compassion on us. He knows how we're formed. Look, at, he knows how we're formed. He's not surprised by your weakness. He's not surprised by your sin or your failure. He's not surprised by our impatience or our pride. or our, he's, not, he's not surprised by any of that. He knows how we are formed. He formed us. He remembers that we're dust. We're life. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. How about Psalm 86, 15? Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. 
God is compassionate. God is gracious. Look, it says slow to anger. What did James say? James 119 say? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's who God is. God is quick to listen. He's quick to listen to us. He's quick to listen to us. He understands us. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Luke 15, 20 says this. Jesus said uh, in Luke 15, when he got up and went to his father, he t- it was the parable of the prodigal son, right? He's describing God the father and God the son. And Jesus said, while he was still a long way off, the prodigal son, the one who rejected his father, the one who rejects God, his father saw him, representing God. God the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Matthew 9, 36, we saw this earlier. When he saw the crowds, Jesus saw the crowds, what was his response? What was Jesus' response? He had compassion on them. Why? Because he understood. He understood that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Hebrews 4, 15 says this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus understands us. Jesus doesn't condemn us. He has compassion for us. He knows what it's like to be in our place. Often we deny ourselves the permission to receive the encouragement and the comfort that we need in daily life. Here's what we do. We tend to minimize the daily trials of life, and we say things, well, like that's just life. And we compare ourselves to other greater trials, and we think in light of uh, my trials are, 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 aren't as great as that person's trials, or it could be a whole lot worse. Well, that might be true, but that does. We're dismissing our need for someone to validate and understand what we're going through. We do this to ourselves. We do this to other people. But God sees us. He hears us. And he understands how difficult life is for us. God understands that life is difficult. He knows our history. God knows our personalities. God knows our weaknesses. He he knows the intimate details of our whole lives. God knows you better than you know yourself. And God validates us. He validates you. He understands. So work that into your prayer life. Father, you understand that this is a big deal for me, regardless of what it is. Be honest. Tell him. Father, you understand I'm feeling overwhelmed. Father, you understand how sad this makes me. Father, you understand how angry this makes me. Father, you understand how this is hard for me. Father, you understand that this scares me. Be honest and tell the Lord, Father, I I believe and I trust you understand. Research has shown that some of the most serious emotional disorders come from having one's emotions misunderstood or dismissed. Parents, do not, do not dismiss your children's emotions. When we dismiss a person's emotions, genuinely dismiss their genuine emotions, I'd go so far in my opinion to say that's emotional abuse. God doesn't do that for us. We shouldn't do it for others. We shouldn't do it for our children. When we say, for instance, oh, come on, that didn't hurt you. Oh, that wasn't so bad. Or we say something and we, tell, we see it hurt someone. Oh, I was only joking. Some of you have heard that your whole life. And let me tell you something. It's wrong and it's hurtful. And we shouldn't, God doesn't say that to us. <laughs> He doesn't tell us, oh, come on, that didn't hurt. Oh, come on, that wasn't so bad. No. When that happens, here's what happens. It happens in our children's lives. It happens in our own hearts. When that happens, when someone communicates that to us, we emotionally and and relationally begin to withdraw, and we distance ourselves from people, whether we consciously know it or not. 
But on the other hand, when someone says something that shows their understanding, we're more open to input about our lives. We're more open to drawing close to them. When someone says, hey, it sounds like that was very difficult for you. That's a simple example of an empathetic statement that draws people closer, that creates trust, that develops bonds. Understanding how someone feels or thinks or how an experience was for them is something that builds real relational bonds and connects people and grows in intimacy. The inability to do that destroys intimacy. This is why we have to develop this skill, not only our relationship with God, but people as well. That's why we need to tell people, and this is in your notes, I understand. I understand. Do you, know the motion, do you know the emotion that is most frequently attributed to Jesus in the Gospels? What's the one emotion that is most frequently attributed to Jesus in the Gospels? Anybody want to guess? Compassion. Compassion. It's the one emotion that's most frequently mentioned in describing Jesus. Luke 7, 13, Jesus saw her. His heart went out to her. The New Living Translation says his heart was overflowing with compassion. See, that's what compassion is. Compassion is when your heart goes out to someone. It literally means to be moved. When you have sincere compassion for someone, it's the image of your heart moving out of your world and moving into another person's world. When your heart enters their world, you've been moved with compassion. You enter that person's world and you feel what it's like to be in their place. We get this all, I, you know, I'm a young dad and I'm learning to be, be a dad. So I, obviously I got a lot of examples. We get this all, all wrong all the time with our children. When a child gets upset or gets angry or throws a fit over something, we often explain to them why they need to stop being upset and why they need to stop being angry. We think they need to understand from our perspective why what they're doing is unnecessary or wrong or, you know, they're exaggerating. But, that, but, but there's a problem there because most often really what we're trying to communicate to them is that we want them to understand us before they understand, before we understand them. The wiser approach, the better way to relate to them is to relate to them like Jesus relates to us, to seek to understand before being understood. I suggest using this simple phrase. I've been using this for over six months now. Help me to understand. Help me to understand. Honey, okay, you're upset. Help me to understand why you're upset. Well, because I can't watch the show you want me to watch. Okay, I can understand why that upsets you. Doesn't mean I'm gonna let you watch the show. But I understand. I understand why that would upset you. You know what I say? I say, honey, when I don't get my way, I get upset too. Because isn't that true? Because here's what happened is, when we don't get our way, we throw fits. When our children don't get their way and they throw fits, we slap them. Stop doing that. You don't need to do that. That's silly. That's ridiculous. That's not the way God reacts to us when we throw little fits. That's not how people react to us. We need to be compassionate towards our children and seek to understand before being understood. Ephesians 4.2 says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Oh, now you, I, again, I'm, a, I'm just going to just apply that to anybody in any relationship. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make a, but apply it to parenting. Parents, be humble and gentle with your children. Be patient with them, making allowance for their weaknesses because they're children. How about Colossians 3.13? Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord gave, forgave you, so you must forgive others. Look at this. Make allowance for each other's faults. Hey, listen, we're all messed up. You're all messed up. This is great. I just want to remind you this morning, welcome to church. You're all messed up. I'm messed up too. But the way we develop intimacy with each other 
It's beginning to make room for each other's faults. We are in a world where, you want to know what you can do to help begin making a difference in a world that is absolutely crumbling around us? Start making room for other people's faults and being compassionate and seeking to understand before being understood. We want to know that we're understood and accepted. Cynthia Held, in her book, Intimacy with God, writes this. This is true intimacy, being confident that what we reveal about ourselves will be understood and that the person whom we disclose ourselves will accept us, seek our good, and continue to communicate love and support to us even when they may disagree with us. We need to hear from God that in our weakness, in our shortcomings, that he still accepts us, loves us, and enjoys us. I gotta hurry up. The fourth sentence is this. We can pray is this. You're glad to be with me. You're glad to be with me. This is in your notes. We're, we're finishing up here. You're glad to be with me. God doesn't get angry with you or frustrated with you for uh, your weaknesses. God is still glad to be with you. He delights in you and he cares about you even in your fails, failures, even in the midst of your sins. Psalm 147.11 says this. The Lord delights in those who fear him. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put his... Uh, who put their hope in his unfailing love. It doesn't say the Lord delights in those who are perfect. It doesn't say the Lord delights in those who have figured it all out. It doesn't even say the Lord delights in those who are, who are mature. The Lord delights in us, even in our immaturity. He delights in us. Because of God's compassion, God is patient with us and he's gentle with us. So work that into your prayer life. Father, you're glad to be with me. Even in the midst of my frustration or my pain or my sadness, I, I trust and believe you're, gonna, you're glad to be with me. Father, you're glad to be with me in my broken mess. You don't condemn me. You don't withdraw from me. You are glad to be with me. That's Emmanuel, God with us. Again, let's do for others what God's done for us. Let's communicate to those closer to us. I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to be with you. Sentence number four. We need to communicate to others. I'm still glad to be with you even when they mess up or even when people disappoint us, even when your loved ones, those closest to you, disappoint you. You need to be able to say, you know what? I'm still glad to be with you. We need to reassure them uh, that we're glad to be with them. Uh, 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 I'm gonna prioritize my relationship with you over this specific issue. I may disagree with you on this issue, but our relationship is more important than this issue. Most of our fights, most of our conflict is over temporary issues. Relationships are eternal. So I'm not going to withdraw. I'm not going to pull away. I'm, I'm staying put. I'm staying here with you. I'm, I'm glad to be with you even in this circumstance. We get, when we get the sense that people are glad to be with us they, and they still enjoy us, it gives us the freedom to seek their help. And that's especially true in our relationship with God. And that's uh, sentence number five. You want to help me. You want to help me. God wants to help us. God doesn't want to leave us hanging out to dry. He wants to be actively involved in helping us through our life. It's just hit a few more passages here. Psalm 121, verse one and two says this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where's our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. He wants to help us. He wants to help us through our life. Isaiah 41, nine and 10 says this. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I've chosen you, I've not rejected you. God, God chooses us. He doesn't reject us. So don't fear. Don't be, don't be afraid. For I am with you. I'm with you. I'm glad to be with you. I'm right here with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not withdrawing. I'm drawing close to you. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Some of you this morning need to be reminded that God will help you through your circumstances, through your situation, through what you're facing in life. Lastly, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God with the throne of grace 
throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Father, you want to help me. You start looking at that in your prayer life. Lastly, we need to tell others that too. I want to help you. I want to help you. All right, so there's your five sentences. This is what we're going to do. Josh is going to come out, and he's going to play a little bit of music, and uh, we're going to take about 60 seconds, and we're going to practice this method right now, okay? Because a lot of times we just we tell you what to do, and who knows if you go do it uh, in life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to practice it right now, five-sentence method. I want you to have this five-sentence conversation. Hey, Josh. Uh, with, I want you to have this five-sentence conversation, this five-sentence prayer with the Lord. And here's how I want you to do it. I want you to think about something stressful in your life right now. I want you to think about something stressful in your life. You got it? What's stressing you out? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a conflict. Uh, maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's financial. What? If you had to, I mean, we all have multiple. If you had to pick one thing that's stressing you out, pick it. You got that in your mind? I'm just going to give you 60 seconds here of quiet. And here's what I want you to say. I want you in thinking about that issue, I want you to pray through those five sentences. And I want you to tell the Lord, Lord, I know you see me in this. I know you see me. I know you're paying attention to me. Just go ahead and pray that now. Father, I know you see what I'm going through. I know you see. You're paying attention to me. I'm on your heart and mind. You're thinking about it, Father. You're thinking about it as much as I am. Now I want you to pray, Lord, I know you hear me. Father, you hear me. You hear my request for help. You hear my concern. You hear my thoughts. Father, you hear me. Father, you understand. Father, you understand. You have compassion for me. You know what it's like to walk in my shoes, according to Hebrews. That's what Jesus did for us. You understand, Father. Next is, Father, you're still glad to be with me. <laughs> even in the midst of the circumstance, even in the midst of the stress of what's stressing me out, you're not angry. You don't condemn me. You don't judge me. You're glad to be with me still. You're not withdrawing. You're with me. God, you are glad to be with me. Lastly, God, you're gonna, you want to help me. Father, you want to help me. You're not leaving me out to dry. You want to help me. You want to encourage me. You want to strengthen me. You want to give me wisdom. You want to give me insight. You want to give me counsel. You want to help me, Father.
respond today to our Father this morning with this song. this morning that you'd give us open ears. Even going into our week, Lord, you give us open ears and eyes to see you, to hear you. Lord, you speak to us. You draw near to us as you promised in James chapter 4, that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.